Okay, we're going to dive into the book of Ephesians, which we've been studying for, I know, we're at 34 weeks, I think. Maybe I'm wrong on that. 33, somewhere in that, somewhere in that range. It's a lot of weeks. And uh, as we've been studying through this book, the reality is that we preach little snippets. I'm going to preach three verses today, but it's all part of, of a letter that Paul wrote that he would have spoken in just a very few minutes. And so we read over these and we dive into these parts, but like any uh, passage of Scripture, it's, it's included in a larger context. And so in this larger context of Ephesians, you know, the first half of the book, he's explaining what it means to be a believer, uh, with this, who the believer is, what is their identity. And then in chapter 4, he's starting to explain how we're supposed to walk as uh, someone who's been called by the gospel. And 5 starts out, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live or walk a life of love. And then he's explaining what that looks like. In verse 8, he says to live or walk as children of light. So believers have an identity that we have because of our faith in Jesus. God gives us a new identity. It's not just that I'm the same person and I get to add a Christian badge to my vest. That's not at all. It's that we were dead in our sins and we have faith in Jesus and he gives us a new life. It's called the regeneration, where we were dead and then we have faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit regenerates us and makes us alive in Christ. We're now new in him. And what does it look like to actually live that out? And so Trev has been preaching through this wonderful chapter five into what it looks like to live a life of love, to live and walk as children of light. And last week, we looked at this, uh, uh, this idea of, of Christ is the light exposing everything that is in the darkness and the great freedom that Christians have to walk in a, in a life that is open, that is where the lights are on, where Christ has access to everything, where he exposes the deeds of darkness in our hearts and the deeds of darkness in, in the world around us. And it's a great freedom. And we often accept the lie that if I, if I can hide things and keep them secret, that I'll be safe. But the reality is that when Christ's light comes in and exposes our sin and our darkness, it truly sets us free. And so that is the context that we're going to run into or, or be in as we jump into verse 15. And before we read this, let me pray for us, and we'll, uh, we'll study these few verses. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing all over the world. Um, you know, Jesus said when he was uh, walking here on earth that my Father is always working, and I am working also. And we can uh, yoke ourselves with you. It's amazing that you call us to do that, to join you in the work that you're doing in the world, that the Deermans are doing, that you're doing through them that you're doing through the people of this church. And that all comes out of our identity in you. And so I pray, Lord, as we dig into this passage, that you would remind us of who you say that we are, the unchangeable truth that we are children of light, the unchangeable truth that you have redeemed us out of our sin, the unchangeable truth of the gospel, that those who have never put their faith in you are still condemned in their sin, and that they desperately need their Savior and that we desperately need our Savior every day. So just take a moment before we open the Word and read it and study it, and just ask the Lord, as we pray every week, ask Him to teach you something. Just ask Him to teach your heart, to transform how you think. And pray for the person around you, in front of you, beside you. Just pray for them by name. Pray that the Lord would teach them something, that he would encourage them, remind them who they are in him.
Lord, we lift up and just commit this time to you. Please teach us through your word and help us to receive what you teach us through it and then to walk out of here living life differently because of what you've taught us. In Christ's risen name and in the power of your spirit, we pray these things. Amen. So here we go. In verse 15, this is Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. He says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So in the context of what does it look like to live as a child of light, what's it look like to live, live as someone whose who's heart and whose uh, behavior is exposed by the light of Christ, where everything is visible, how does that person walk? How do we go about doing the things of life? Paul reminds us to be very careful. And that, that word means uh, to, to discern, like to spend time contemplating, to, to pay careful attention to something. What does he say to pay careful attention to? Be very careful then how you live or, or walk. The word, uh, if your version says walk, it's because that's literally the word for walk, like I put one foot in front of the other. How you live. It's always a metaphor for uh, living life. What is the, what is the content of your life look like? What is your daily behavior? What are your daily actions, attitudes, thoughts, and things? Be careful then how you live. And then he gives this great contrast, not as unwise, which you don't want to do, but as wise. If you read the Bible at all, you don't want to be the unwise person. You don't want to live life foolishly. You want to live life wisely. And a practical definition of wisdom is like the skill of living. How do I know what decision to make? How do I know what to do in this situation? Ecclesiastes says that there's a time for everything and every, uh, every event under heaven, a time, to, um, a, a time to kill and a time to give life, a time to sow and a time to reap, a time to mend and a time to tear. And, and knowing the answer to the question, what time is it? That's really wisdom. What do I do now? And anybody who's had to make hard decisions, anybody who's parented or been married or done any of these life things, you were constantly lacking wisdom. And so Paul says, or life reveals our lack of wisdom. But he says, be very careful then how you live. Don't live as the unwise, but as the wise. And what does it look like to live with wisdom? He says in verse 16, making the most of every opportunity. So this word making the most, um, it's literally the word for to redeem something. So it's the same word that, that Paul uses in other letters in, in Galatians and in Romans to talk about that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So the law exposes our sin and uh, puts us under a curse because we're unable to keep uh, the law, which is the, the, the demonstration of God's righteousness and his holiness. We can't. We're unable to do it. No person in the world who's ever lived has not broken God's law. And because of that, we're under a curse. And Christ redeemed us from under the curse of that. If you're really interested in that, I encourage you for homework, dive into Galatians chapter 3, go into Romans chapter 6, and dig into that uh, process. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time more this morning. But it means to redeem or to purchase something out. And the picture is actually purchasing uh, someone off of the slave block. So when it says make the most or redeem every opportunity, it, it's this picture of, of buying something up as it goes by you. You've all probably had that experience when you go into Sam's. And you're like, oh, we should probably get that thing. And then it's, you're like, oh, we'll get it later. And then it's not there. Well, in, if you've ever been in, the, in the, the developing world, you'll see somebody wearing like a, a, a an Oklahoma State Cowboys t-shirt, and you're like, how, how did that get here? And 
How it gets there is things get bundled up from the states, things that don't sell here and don't sell at the outlet mall and don't sell at Goodwill end up getting sold into these giant thousand pound bundles. It's clothes, it's like housing stuff, toys, all manner of stuff that Americans don't want anymore and that no one can sell. So they put them in these big things and in Central America they're called pacas. And so you walk in and someone buys this bundle and they're coming different price ranges, nicer bundles. Like if you want stuff that has Banana Republic stuff in there, that bundle may be a little more. And then you've got different prices and the cheap ones are just like stuck in a closet somewhere and you come in and you rummage through the bundle. It's called a paca. Well, there is a store called, in the town we lived in, called the Mega Paca. If there's mega on anything in Spanish, it means it's awesome. And so the Mega Paca had, was actually set up like there were shelves and things were ordered, like there's housewares and toys and clothes, and clothes were like in men's and women's and sized. It was incredibly organized. And then everything had a color label on it. So if it was a blue label, I mean, it means it was full price, man. It was right off the Paca truck or Paca bus. I don't know how you get it there. Trucks, planes, trains, automobiles, they got there. It was right off. And so those things were full price. But if it was there a week, it dropped down to the next level. It was 90% of the original price. And then all the way down to where it's basically free. Now, if you went into the Mega Paca, you could find like a $500 camel hair jacket there for like $4 if you were good. But it wasn't going to be there if you didn't buy it then. So if you went into the mega pocket and you saw something and you had the money for it and it was what you wanted, you bought it, then it was like the immovable rule for the missionaries. If it's in the pocket and to have the money and to want to, we didn't call each other. You're like, hey, you said you were looking for a blender. I see one at the mega pocket. I don't know if it works, but it's $4. Do you want it? And then we would just work it out. Because if you walked out the door and came back in, it was gone. Didn't matter. If it's in the pocket, you buy it then. You redeem it then. That's what I think Paul is looking at here, making the most of every opportunity, redeeming every opportunity, redeeming the time. The time is like a river that flows by, and once it's gone, you don't get to go back. You don't get to go back and do yesterday. You don't get to go back and redo five years ago or 10 years ago. You cannot go back and redo this morning. Some of us probably wish we could, but you can't. You can't go back and redo anything you've done since you walk in the building. We cannot go back and redeem it redeeming or making the most of every opportunity is what wise people do. Well, how do you, why do we need to do that, I mean? Why is it that we need to redeem opportunities? Well, the next phrase gives us a clue. Because the days are evil. That word for evil means a malignant evil, not just a, something that's sort of just evil and sitting there, but something that's malignant, that's growing, and it's destructive. And it comes from a word that means uh, pain and turmoil. So like the pain and turmoil that comes from daily labor. Like if you don't, for millennia, right, if you didn't get out and work in a field, for most people, you didn't eat. And so if you didn't work hard, there was no food and you would die. And so this idea that life brings pain. Like have you ever seen Princess Bride, right? Life is pain. And that's the line from the movie. And so it's true, though. Living life on planet Earth as a human means that we will be subjected to pain and torment. There is no, no avoiding it. For the believer... It means that our days are fraught with, with peril. There is danger for the believer. Danger to what? Danger to walking as children of light. Danger to walking in a way that, that is uh, uh, um, worthy of the gospel. Danger to living a life of love. If you were to walk to your average man on the street and go back and say, hey, do you want to live a life of love? You know, most people would say, yeah, sure, yeah, I want to live a life of love. I want to be like, yeah, I love everybody. Everybody loves me. I love everybody. It's a life of love. It's a big, everybody's hugging. Yes, yes, I want to live a life of love. 
you follow that question up with, do you want to be an imitator of God? The answer might be quite different. But you cannot separate the two. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You cannot live a life of love if you're not living a life as an imitator of the God who defines what love is. And so the days are constantly pressing against us. It's like walking through a forest where there is no trail. You're stepping over things. There's things that can trip you up, get you off course, as you, want, as you desire to steadfastly walk by faith with Jesus, as you desire to live these things out, where he gives all these instructions, trade off greed, this great exchange we've been talking about this whole time. Instead of having greed, uh, be, be generous. Instead of uh, lying, tell the truth. Instead of stealing, get to work. As we desire to do that, the days are filled with peril. And if we're not paying attention, we're going to get tripped up. So when he says, be very careful then making the most of every opportunity, buying up that opportunity as it comes, because the days are evil, they're against us. It's like a joke all the time about, you know, telling your, uh, the lady at Target or whatever, or your barista, um, just say, hey, you know, I just, God loves you and, and he has a plan for your life. And if you ever want to talk about it, come talk to me. Or saying something weird like that, um, that's just, it's not that crazy. It really isn't that crazy to think about this moment where I'm standing in front of this person with this series of events, with the weather like it is, and them having the mood that they are, and them having the, uh, the situation that they're in, maybe they're, they will never happen again. This very moment that we're in right now will never happen again. That breath that you just took, you will never breathe that breath again. That exact mixture of molecules, it's over. That moment that you had this morning, the moments that you'll have this afternoon, they will never happen again. And so we've got to be paying attention. We're going to look at a little bit what that looks like to dig into that more. But it's a, honestly realizing that walking through life as a believer is kind of like walking in a bad part of town. Okay, when you're walking around this building, you're not super worried. If you go to a super sketchy part of, of the city, you're paying a little bit better attention. I hope you are. And if you go to a foreign country where you don't know the language, you don't know the culture, you don't know the customs, all of a sudden you're on high alert, right? That's what causes culture stress in part because you're on high alert because your security is threatened. And so you're constantly looking around, constantly trying to figure out where is the danger coming from. And if you're not paying attention, sometimes you get tripped up in what you're trying to do. So pay attention because the days are evil. And then he says kind of as a refrain, I think, therefore do not be foolish. So repeats again, so don't be foolish. Because if you're foolish, you're not going to be walking well. But instead of being foolish, exchange it for something. Understand what the, will, what the Lord's will is. So the fool does not seek to understand God's will. They don't. fool just says, I've got my own way. I'm doing my own thing. The fool is said in his heart, says Psalm 14.1. The fool is said in his heart that there is no God. He doesn't seek to understand God's will. He doesn't believe that God exists. Or he believes that God exists and believes that some kind of weird mix of things that God is, I don't know, whatever you would think that God is. If you look at the God in the Simpsons, he's an old man with a beard up in the sky who does funny things. Like, that's not who God really is. God defines who God is. And so if I don't want to be foolish but want to be wise, I have to seek to understand what the Lord's will is. What is the Lord's will? Remember the number one rule of studying the Bible? Keep reading. What, uh, understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, quick aside, uh, we're not a teetotaling church. If you've been to our life groups or anything, you know that sometimes people have 
uh, libations. And uh, we're not, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about or hammering that wine is wine. The word for wine here is the same word for wine in the New Testament. Uh, when Jesus made wine at his first miracle in Cana, he made wine. He made good wine, which meant wine that had a high alcohol content. Paul tells Timothy it's okay to drink some wine. Uh, Ecclesiastes says to give strong drink to people who are dying, and we give them anesthetics now or whatever they give for hospice care. Don't get drunk on wine. He's not saying don't get drunk on grape juice. If you drink 25 gallons of grape juice, you're not going to get drunk, okay? You may have a lot of whatever that would cause you, but you wouldn't get drunk. You get drunk on wine because wine has alcohol in it. So the word that he's talking about, it's alcohol. Don't get drunk on wine. It doesn't say, you can say, well, I got drunk on beer today. Uh, the Bible says not wine. <laughs> the main part is the don't get drunk part, right? Drunk meaning intoxicated. Why? Which leads to debauchery, good old debauchery, right? Uh, your Bible may say dissipation or it may say reckless living. Uh, debauchery is this idea of uh, the most important thing to me right now is satisfying whatever desire I have in the moment. That's debauchery. If everybody is doing that, your mind doesn't have to go far to realize things will go poorly quickly. Dissipation is another word that gets forward, and, and I, I, I've loved that word as an older word, but I always think of actually clouds dissipating off and just fading away into nothing. A life of dissipation or debauchery just eventually fades away into nothing, and it is a life that ends up being a little value to the people around them, which is a terrible and tragic thing. Do not get drunk on wine. Why? Because it leads us down a path that is destructive. Destructive to us, destructive to the people around us. I mean, Proverbs talks quite a bit about the drunkard and that a drunkard walks around and it's like a guy who's flinging around a bush that's on fire and just catching things on fire. It's a terrible place to be. But I'm going to say that there are other things to get drunk on other than wine, right? You can get drunk on well, all kinds of alcoholic things. You can get drunk on or intoxicated by all manner of drugs. You can get intoxicated with power. You can get intoxicated with greed, intoxicated with lust. There's a whole long list of things that we can become intoxicated by. And if I was asked, you know, what are the reasons that people drink? Okay, you know, if you can have a beer with somebody, you're not getting drunk. But what are, those, what are the reasons why people get drunk? Well, it's usually one of two things. One, because they think they need to get drunk to have fun. Why? Well, because alcohol is an inhibitor. What does it inhibit? It inhibits good judgment. Good judgment, by the way, is a rare and beautiful gift. So if you're trying to inhibit it, stop. Don't inhibit good judgment. You want to increase good judgment and open the flow of good judgment in your life. But a lot of people drink because it inhibits good judgment, and they feel like they're free, and they can really have fun. They kind of be their true selves. We call alcohol liquid courage. So it gives me the courage to walk across the dance floor and ask a girl out or whatever. If people go to dance followers anymore, I don't even know. I don't know. Dance hall? Anyway, so... <laughs> uh, people will drink alcohol because they think that if I do this, then I can truly have fun. I can truly be free to be me. That's a lie, okay? You don't need booze to be you. Honestly, in just a second, we're going we're gonna to look at what you need to be you. The authentic you is Jesus. You need to be filled with the Spirit of God to truly be who you were created to be. All alcohol does is numb who you think you want to be, and enables you to do things without thinking. Another reason people get drunk is to numb the pain of life. So life is hard. We just talked about that the days are evil. So because those days are evil, a lot of people drink 
And they drink because they're hurting, and they do not want to deal with the pain, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, mental pain, spiritual pain, whatever the pain is. If I'm drunk enough, it doesn't hurt so bad. And then I can go to sleep because if I don't drink, I can't go to sleep. And I, or maybe you get intoxicated on something else. I'm going to use the word self-medication as opposed to just don't get drunk on wine. Don't self-medicate. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. How do we self-medicate? I mean, it can be something as, as benign as I'm going to go, you know what, I'm kind of done, I'm going to back out, and I'm going to binge watch something on Netflix. I'm not going to take care of my responsibilities. I'm not going to deal with this stuff. I'm going to fight with my wife. We're going to go our separate ways. She's going to binge something in her bedroom. I'm going to go out and play golf. I'm going to medicate. Not that there's anything wrong with playing golf, by the way. Not that there's anything wrong with watching something on Netflix. Not that there's anything wrong with having a glass of wine. It's when we use it to medicate our pain instead of turning our pain over to the Lord. Do you see the difference? And we medicate in all manner of ways. And our society is now constructed to make medication the norm. What do I medicate with? I medicate with pornography. I medicate with, uh, with, with actual drugs or alcohol. Uh, I medicate with uh, a social media use. I get, you know, I get scared. I get nervous. I, don't, I pick up my phone. I'm going to scroll through Instagram. It makes me feel better to see everybody else's fake life so that I don't have to deal with my own. That's what we do. Why? Because we are afraid. We do it because we fear addressing the pain in our heart. Because we believe the lie that if I allow everything to be exposed by the light of Jesus, that I will be broken. And the reality is that if I allow everything to be exposed by the light of Jesus, I will be broken by Jesus, and he will make me new. That's what he does. So when you are encouraged or not encouraged is the wrong word. When you feel the need to self-medicate, and I think we all know what that feeling is. You get a point where you're like, I don't want to deal with this thing. Whatever this thing is, I don't want to deal with it. When you feel that way, there is a better way. And that way is to be filled with the Spirit. The word filled there, it means to fill. Like we fill a pitcher with grape juice, right? You have a jar or a pitcher and it gets filled with something. What is it that you're getting filled with? You're getting filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Well, where does he go? I've asked people ask me that question. Like, well, if I get filled with the Spirit, like, where does he? Where does he have like a spirit pocket in my body? And so, uh, you know, the, the idea, right, that people are made up, all of creation is made up of an immaterial and a material self. Like, this thing is material. It's made out of stuff. A plant, you know, a bush is material that has structure and it has form. Uh, this thing has no mind, will, and emotions. It has no immaterial self. Our dog, or two dogs and two cats, they all have an immaterial self, or a puma, or an elephant. They have a mind, they have a will, and they have emotions, right? Our dog wants to get up and eat the food off the counter. Absolutely has a will. Wants to eat the cake, wants to eat the steak, wants to eat whatever, wants to drink out of the toilet. Terrible. We love these creatures. They do gross things. They have a mind and a will, and they have emotions. They get mad, they get sad, they get scared. What they do not have and what separates us from everything else is that we are made in God's image. That means we have a spiritual part of our being. You're here today not because you think that you need a hug. You probably do need a hug. Or not because you think that you need to sit in a comfortable chair, but because your spirit longs to be with God's people. There is a spiritual part of humanity. And when the Bible says that we're dead in our sins, it means that we're spiritually dead. And so there is a part of you and me as human beings made in God's image that is spiritual. It doesn't have a space. It doesn't have a part where it goes. It's part of who you are, the God-shaped vacuum that philosophers have talked about. So when we are filled with the Spirit, we're merely doing what God created us to do. So the picture over there, 
um, it just, when it gets spilled, like we grab it and we pour grape juice in it. The pitcher's job is just to allow itself to be filled. Your job is to allow yourself to be filled with the Spirit. This concept of being filled with the Spirit or abiding in Christ, the name of our church, comes from John 15, 5. Abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and I in you, and you will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. This whole concept is based in dependence and surrender to God. That is the key of all of it. So what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? It means to surrender to Him. The reality is that the gospel is not just a, is not some set of moral rules. Jesus did not die on the cross and rose from the dead so that you would not be drunk on wine. He died on the cross and rose from the dead so that he could give you his life. If you've ever, if you, uh, those of you who went through our, our going deeper study, we looked at the gospel from this quote from Ian Thomas from a book called The Saving Life of Christ, where he says that Jesus Christ came to give his life to you so that he could, excuse me, Jesus Christ came to give his life for you so that he could give his life to you, so that he could live his life through you. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ came to give his life to you. He died on the cross for your sins, so that he could give his life to you. He gave you new life in him, so that he could live his life through you. He wants to live his life through us as his people. Being filled with the Spirit is how that happens. So when you are, when life is threatening, when the perils of life, when the evil days are upon you, when you know that you should be redeeming the time, when you are in fear, when you are worried, when the anxieties of life overwhelm you and you want to medicate somehow, I want to encourage you that the better way is to surrender to Jesus and let his spirit fill you. Because when he fills you, you want to know liquid, you want to know courage? That's courage. I don't need a shot of tequila to go talk to my neighbor. I need Jesus. I need power to do it. The Spirit is the power of God. It is he who regenerated you when you were dead in your sins, and it is he who will resurrect you in newness of life when we will stand before Jesus in an eternal resurrected body. It is he who empowers you to live an impossible life. I'm not up here telling you don't get drunk. I mean, don't get drunk, but that's not the point. The point is not don't go have one too many beers and stand up and go, "Uh uh-oh, I must be sinning. The point is walk in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. In the book of Galatians, Paul says to, to not walk in the flesh, but to walk in the Spirit. And when we do that, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self control. I cannot produce that. I can merely demonstrate it as he fills me and then pours out from me. Um, Dwight Moody, who I obviously never met, but he wrote a bunch of good stuff, wrote a book called The Secret Success of the Christian Life. He has a bunch of great quotes. I feel like it would have got along well with old Mr. Moody, but I guess I will meet him someday. He says this, The fact is we are leaky vessels, and we have to keep right under the fountain all the time to keep full of Christ and so have fresh supply. The fact is we are leaky vessels. I leak all the time. I am constantly leaking. And it's not like I go up and I get filled a little bit and then I can go do my day and it kind of, it's like if you have giant holes in a pitcher, the only way to keep it filled is to put more in than is coming out. And I guarantee you, the spirit can put in more than comes out every day. So what do we do with all these things? 
One, I want to encourage you just to stop and listen. The devil keeps us really busy. And I say the devil keeps us busy because I don't want to take responsibility for our own business, so it's easier to just to blame him, right? The truth of the matter is, is that I keep myself really busy. Yes, we're married, we have four kids, we have a very, very, very busy life. The main reason that I am too busy is this guy. It's my own fault. We are incredibly busy. That's nothing new, by the way. People have been busy for a very, very long time. Uh, you do not have to wake up at dawn and, like, go hunt for your food. That's busy. I mean, we're busy. God made people to work. Working is good. But we get rolling in the day to day to day to day. I've got to pay this bill. I've got to do this thing. I've got to take this kid there. I've got this appointment. I've got to fold this laundry. I've got to wash this stuff. I've got to mow the yard. I've got to paint the house. I mean, the list of things that are running through your mind right now is overwhelming. So stop. Find time. No, 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 no. You have time. You know when it is, so use it. Stop running and pay careful attention to how you walk. Stop and listen. Like walking, the act of walking like this, it is a controlled fall. I put weight back on one foot, I put the other foot forward, and I fall and I catch myself with this foot. The idea of walking with Jesus is this, that I stand on this past leg of his faithfulness. So how has God been faithful to me in the past? And I stand on that while I step out in faith. And then I land, and because God is faithful, when my foot hits, he will always be faithful again. And then that foot then becomes the past faithfulness that I step forward in this faith. And I step forward and I walk and I do that every single day. You rest on God's faithfulness and you step forward in God's faithfulness. And that is how you walk with Jesus. He has always been faithful to you. If you look back, he always has been faithful. Maybe not to some kind of unrealistic expectation that you've had, but he's always been faithful to himself and to his promises in, your, in the word. Always. And so you step out in faith. But if you don't stop to evaluate, am I doing that? You just end up wandering around and wasting a whole life scrolling on stuff and buying stuff and like I buy stuff on Amazon. I spend, it's like a part-time job taking apart Amazon boxes to put them in the trash can. It's like, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? I spend a significant amount of time boxing up old boxes that stuff came in that we needed or didn't need and then throwing them away. I don't want to get in front of Jesus and say, you know, I, I spent a lot of time throwing boxes away. And he's like, yeah, glad I died for you and gave you my very life so that you could do that. Um, maybe you could have spent time doing better things. Stop and listen. I think every sermon I ever give comes down to this. <laughs> if you're not taking time to stop and read the word and pray and ask God what's going on, do it. If you need help doing it, I will show you. If you need help being encouraged because you don't do it, I struggle with the same thing. I struggle to stop and listen, because I get whipped up in the business. But stop and listen. Second, seek wisdom and understanding. Um, how do you do that? Once again, read the Bible. If you don't read the Bible, you're not going to know what is wise. How will you know what is wise? You're just going to ask somebody, are they wise? How do you know if they're wise? What, if, what if, is what they say is true? I don't know. How do you know? You read the Bible. And you find out. Read the, read the Proverbs. Read one every day. Read the Word. Spend consistent time in the Word. And spend time in Christian fellowship. You got these guys that meet in a men's Bible study on Tuesday morning? They just do it, man. They just sit there and they meet and they talk about the Word. It's not super complicated. Spend time in fellowship. Spend time in the Word. And spend time in the Word in fellowship. Combine those two things. So, 
but seek wisdom and understanding. So stop and listen. Seek wisdom and understanding. And finally, stay under the fountain. You are full of cracks and so am I. There is a better way than the self-medicated lie that we believe. And we just, we have, we have swallowed it in hook, line, and sinker, man. It's like way down deep and wherever the fish parts are. And like you got to cut that line off and the Lord's got to take that stuff out. We're good at it. We're good at running away from our problems. We're good at running away from our issues. Christ calls us to something higher. How do you live as a child of light? How do you live a life of love? How do you live a life worthy of the gospel? In part, you be very careful then how you live. That is unwise, but it wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So choose the better way and stay under the faucet. As we look at moving into communion, we're about to pray here, and the reality is that this table is a gift. It is a gift to us. All the things, the metaphors that work as you dip the bread and put it in, as you eat it, and it's like, gosh, fill me with your spirit, Lord. Lord, you poured out your blood for me. This is a moment that Trev's going to talk about in a second, where you take your life and you do this very thing. You evaluate your life up to this moment, right now. How has your day been? How's your week been? And you get to bring it before the body and the blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you have given us a better way, a way that is totally foreign to the world around us, the way that is the way of surrender. And in surrender, we are filled to the brim and overflowing with the power of the Spirit of God, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead indwells every believer. And we are given a free gift, not just of salvation, but of power to live out our salvation every moment of every day by being filled with the Spirit of God. Lord, I don't know that there is another way for us to conceive of that other than just to do it and to walk in the experience of it. Give us courage, Lord, to reject the world's way of dealing with pain and instead embrace your way of dealing with pain, which is to walk in the light, surrender to the Spirit, and be filled by Him and empowered by Him. So help us, Lord Jesus, as we transition into taking the Lord's Supper, work on our hearts, give us courage to walk in the light today. We lift all these things up to you in your risen and exalted name. Amen. Amen. As uh, Brandon was talking about leaky vessels um, and the reality of who we are, I was reminded of uh, years ago when we purchased this communion where we actually took a team down to burden Brandon and Jenny in Guatemala. Um, caused more problems than we solved, but we uh, typically do is we take short-term teams down, we do that. But one of the things that we did, and they take their teams when they were down in Guatemala, is they take them to this factory that uh, basically takes trash glass. They collect it from the dumps and other places. This family started business, takes those glass beer bottles, Coke bottles, things like that. They melt them down and create these other things. They create vases. We have several of them in our house. But we bought this communion ware from that factory, which essentially is somebody else's garbage. All right? It's broken beer bottles and Coke bottles that were melted down and hand-blown and turned into vases, redeemable pieces. Now that trash serves as this vessel by which we share 
the most incredible gift that we've ever been given in humanity, which is the body of Christ. And the picture of new life that Brandon's talking so deeply about is, is that. It's that we were dead, fully, totally dead. Um, and yet God, through his beautiful resurrection power of Christ, redeems our life with his, with his, to live through us, to make us a holy and usable vessel. Not because we did it on our own. On our own, we're laying in a dump. But redeemed by Christ, we become a vessel for his glory alone. And this table is that, is the picture of God's incredible, magnificent glory. That on the very night he was betrayed, on the night that all his friends and those he spent so much time with would walk and and take off and abandon him, on that very night, uh, Jesus was betrayed. And after dinner, he gathered with this group of guys and he basically gave them this promise that unites us with believers across space and time. And he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, and it's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after he took the bread, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant poured out for you. And he told us that as long as we take of this cup and this bread, we are proclaiming his death until he comes again. This meal is not a habit or a part or order of the Christian life. It is the very picture of Christ's death and resurrection. And it's not something we should take lightly. Paul tells us that we should examine our hearts before we ever even engage in this meal. Confess where we have fallen and ask for God's forgiveness and redemption. So this morning, we ask you to do that. This is not a denominational table. It's open to all those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. But we ask you to examine your heart. and Take a moment, lay your heart bare before the Lord, and then we'll take communion by means of intinction, which is a fancy way of saying that you take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and then you can eat it. We'll have stations down in the front and in the back. And as Don and our worship team lead us in worship, we invite you as you're ready. There's no order. There's no ushers. We, Linda's no longer with us. She's with Jesus. And so uh, you're on your own uh, to just kind of be led and be moved uh, to come down and share in this meal. We will have gluten-free Jesus down front as well. So let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you, and I'll invite our elders to come forward this morning. We do pray this morning, Lord, that you would be glorified um, in the way that you love us and the way that we honor you by loving you in return. Lord, we are not perfect. We are fully and wholly imperfect. We ask, Lord, that you would be exalted and that you would be lifted up in this time. Um, Lord, not on any doing on our own, but because you are fully God and you are fully, fully good. Bless our time this morning as as we worship you. Bless our time as we share in this meal together, Lord. Bless our time as we honor you, our living and holy righteous God. Lord, this meal is yours, and we would celebrate this together, for you have given us new life in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. As you feel led and called, we invite you to come forward or to the back and share in this meal together, and then remain standing as we close our time in worship.
Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Sin had left 
the crimson stain he washed it white as snow heavenly father we thank you for the great love with which you have loved us we thank you lord jesus for the gift of your life that you want to live through us and you give us this picture of communion that we get to do so regularly where we remember that your body was broken for us and that your blood was shed for us, that you gave your life for us because of our sin and that we can come to you and not just stop doing bad stuff, Lord. We can come to you and live a new life, that we can have new life in Christ, that you came to live your life through us. Lord, help us as we respond in worship to you Help us worship like the redeemed people that we are. We are the children of light. We have been adopted into your kingdom. We have been called sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are those who can walk in the light and push back the darkness in this world. We are those who can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, who can walk in wisdom. So help us praise you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have done. Just continue to join us as we close our time in worship. Amen. good when there's nothing good in me. You are love, you are love on display for all to see. You are light, you are light when the darkness closes in. You are hope, you are hope, you have covered all my sin. peace when my fear is crippling you are true you are true even in my wandering you are joy you are joy you're the reason that I sing you are life you are life in you death has lost its sting Nothing compares to your image. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Wow. Praise the Lord. All right. Y'all go out and do the thing, right? Don't go out and get drunk right now, please. So, but please, this week, like, stop and spend some time and consider your life and then live your days filled with the Spirit because that is what you were created to do. And as you walk out of here, I want you to go talk to the deer men. Shake their hand. Give them a hug. Tell me you love them. Every person in here should leave this place and encourage them. If the Lord is leading you, you should also give them some money, and we should also all pray for them. So go out there, give them a hug, and go in peace.